Father, again, we're thankful that we can gather and worship a God who is worthy, a God who has done so much for us, a God who is so good to us, a God who, even if nothing was ever done for our benefit, just by your nature and your character, you're worthy of our praise. As we turn our attention to the written word of the Lord today, would you teach us? We invite your Holy Spirit to challenge us, convict us, and change us. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. I want to share with you this morning a message that I've titled, Why I'm Thankful for Grace. As we've worked through the book of Acts, and, and we will pause after this Sunday, and we'll spend some time uh, thinking about the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, and what all that means. And, and we'll pick Acts back up. We'll get sent again back uh, or forward into the spring of next year. Uh, but before before we push pause on that, as we come to Acts chapter 15, we've been reading about this church that the Lord has used. We've been reading about this church that didn't really have a lot of anything. I mean, they, they didn't have padded pews, and I'm thankful for padded pews, amen? amen. Y'all are going to be about 45 minutes, but I'm still going, you're going to be thankful for them. Uh, they, they didn't have, they didn't have uh, uh, screens. I'm glad that projector screens kind of got fixed. We got the new projectors up. I'm glad for that, but they didn't have that. They, they, didn't, they didn't have a, a ministry programming. They didn't, the, the only things that this church had was a commitment to the Word of God, a strong conviction that Jesus was raised from the dead, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's all they had. And, and with those few things, they changed the world. They went and took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Along the way, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, will share with us a story here and there just to show us how some things were happening in the church at that time. Such is the case with Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, the church is encountering a problem that could have taken them off course. It could have caused them to drift away from the mission that God had given to them. And in the course of this chapter, we really see a battle, a, a showdown, if you will, between the grace of God and the law of God. And we're going to see, hopefully this morning, why we can be thankful for grace. Let's begin reading in Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> A lot of the first Christians who had been raised uh, in the Old Testament law were Jewish. And so what was happening is that one of the most important Jewish laws was the law of circumcision. And in the Old Testament, God set that up to where it would be, that would be the defining characteristic of the people of God. That was one of the ways in which, and in fact, the most distinctive way in which God would distinguish his people from people of the world. But what's happening as we get to Acts chapter 15 is that there are Jewish Christians in the church and they are teaching that if you really wanted to be a child of God, you had to be circumcised. 
Now, that's not a great church growth method to use today at all. And we they certainly didn't cover that in our seminary classes. But what they were doing is they were taking the law and they were saying, you can have Jesus, but you have to have Jesus plus this. Jesus, I'll tell you right now, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And they're saying you have to have Jesus, but you also have to have, go ahead and find grace, but you also have to have the law. Verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed <clears throat> excuse me, to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversation of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. There you see it again very clearly. They're saying, you know what? It's fine if we baptize them. It's fine if we, if we welcome them into the family of faith as long as they, they have some Jesus but also they have to keep the law. Also they have to cross the T's and dot the I's. Also they have to go through the law of God. So verse 6 tells us that the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter says, look, I grew up a Jew. There were 613 laws that the Jews had to keep. Circumcision was just one of them. And Peter says, I had to try to keep all these laws, and, and I grew up with you, and there was no way I could do that. So why are we wanting to put this yoke on the Gentiles? Why are we wanting to make this so difficult when it's not difficult? Why are we wanting to try to add to something that God has come to undo and to fulfill in Jesus Christ? And that's why I love what he said in verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Do you see that comparison he's making now? We believe that we will be saved by the grace of Jesus. Peter's saying none of these things, none of those laws could have saved us anyway. Faith in the finished work of Jesus is what saved us. Peter's saying we weren't saved by what we did, but in faith in what he, Jesus, did for us. Verse 12 says, all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. 
Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, <coughs> just as it is written, after this I will return, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in their synagogues. They say, Pastor, it seems a little weird that uh, here the conclusion is that we shouldn't trouble these Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to do a couple of things, to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual morality, from that what's been strangled and from blood. It, see, in the pagan world, sexual immorality was accepted as the norm. And what James is saying in his explanation here is that the moral laws of God have not changed. The moral laws of God are laws that we still seek to follow. But what about when he said, <coughs> excuse me, those that are eating meat from strangled animals or food polluted by idols, those are things that were very offensive to the Jews. It would cause problems in the fellowship and within their fellowship. And James is saying to be sensitive to others and to be gracious towards others and to not intentionally offend them. Look at the conclusion of that in verse 19. Don't make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Church, that is our task. Don't make it difficult for those Gentiles or, other, or otherwise, for those who are turning from God. Don't make it difficult for those who are seeking to turn to God. I oftentimes wonder if the church doesn't make it difficult. Don't make it difficult the, theologically. Don't add anything to the gospel. The gospel's sufficient. But, but also, don't, don't make it difficult practically. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me tell you how you're going to have a chance to put hands and feet on this sermon. T tonight, 5 o'clock, over 400 people <coughs> are going to gather over in the fellowship hall for our Thanksgiving fellowship. And of those 400 people, we have a ministry on Wednesday night that's one of our, our fastest growing ministries that is a ministry for non-English speakers Esalt ministry. And, and there are sometimes 17, 18 people who participate in ministry. And tonight, there are going to be 10 of those people who signed up. We said, hey, if y'all come eat with us, we'll share a meal with you this Sunday night. And 10 of those people who don't speak English as their first language, they'll be with us tonight. And some of them are going to bring their families. In addition, we've got a deacon in this church who's been up and down his neighborhood. And he's been knocking on doors. He's been building relationships. He's tapped into those relationships. And he's got folks coming tonight that haven't been in church either ever, or it's been years since they've been in church. Now, those are people who are going to be here tonight. I'm going to say to you, church, don't make it hard for those people to come into the kingdom of God. Put a smile on your face. Say something that is kind. If you see someone tonight that doesn't look like you, make sure that you go up and say, hey, I'm a member of this church, and I like it here, and I hope that you like it here, because listen, 
listen, those people, Gentiles or not, those people who come tonight and the, the, the first sermon they're going to hear is not me behind a pulpit. The first impression they have is not our choir singing. It's going to be you. Don't make it hard for them to come to the kingdom. In fact, here's my suggestion. Those of you who don't ever smile, you you know who you are. If you don't know who you are, get a mirror right now. (laughs) Those of you who prefer sauerkraut and lemon juice, that's that's your facial makeup. Y'all sit at the same table, please, please. I beg that as a pastoral request. I'd love to see you there, but please sit at the same table so I can call the number of your table last. (laughs) Now, if you don't, you say, "Uh we're going to trick him. We're not going to sit at the same table. We're going to be spread out. I still know who you are, (laughs) and I can skip your table because I got the power tonight. Very rarely is it that I have poop-like power, but I got poop-like power tonight because I'm the one who calls the names for the tables when it's time to go eat, all right? So when I look at your table, I'm not what you're going to do. Right. And when I watch you walking around and then you see someone that you don't know, be sure to go be kind to them. Don't make it difficult for people to enter the kingdom of God. All right, I'm metal. Let me get back to the text. Verse 22. <coughs> Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders for the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas because after Iscariot you had to have a name to distinguish you from, from him. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the, uh, with the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit for us and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what's been sacrificed to idols and from blood, from what has been strangled from sexual morality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, They rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, which many others, with many others also. What's happening in this text is a showdown between the law and grace. And I want to, in just just a couple of minutes, I want to give you just a few reasons from this text why I'm thankful for grace. First is this, the law leads to legalism. Grace leads to freedom. 
These men from Judea, they used the law in a legalistic way instead of using it to point people to Jesus. Legalism says that the only way for salvation to be attained is for you to do X, Y, and Z. That's why verse 1 says, unless you're circumcised, you can't be saved. Unless you act this way, unless you do this, unless you do that, you can't be saved. Legalism leaves no room for grace. And if there is no grace, there is no freedom. You see, our salvation cannot be attained. That's legalism. Our salvation must be received. That is grace. When we receive salvation by grace through faith, we are freed from the condemnation that the law brings. The gospel message is so much different than the law. The law says, get right, then come see Jesus. And the gospel says, no, come get Jesus and he'll make you right. Legalism leads, the law leads to legalism, but grace leads to freedom. Number two, the law involves rules, but grace involves a relationship. You see, the men of Judea were focused on how well others followed the Old Testament rules. The church in Jerusalem, it tells us, was thrilled about everything God had done. God had done through Paul and Barnabas. See, if you believe that the law is your salvation, you become consumed with rules instead of the relationship that Jesus offers. You know, it is, it is possible to become so obsessed with checking things off your spiritual to-do list that you miss the relationship with God. It is possible to get so caught up in thinking that the rules have to be kept to be accepted. But how many rules can you keep? And how long can you keep them perfectly? The answer is not many and not long. Because the law focuses on the rules. Grace focuses on the relationship. We must remember why we follow God's commands, not in order to receive the grace of God, but because we've already received the grace of God. Third is this. Here's a third lesson. Third reason I'm thankful for grace, or for, for, for grace this, this time. The law produces guilt, but grace produces forgiveness. Man, keep, I want you to know, Keeping the law is impossible. Okay, hear me? Keeping the law is impossible. I've seen some of you drive. (laughs) Keeping the law is impossible. None of us can do it. And when we fail to keep the law, when we fail to do what we know we should do, it ultimately brings to us a sense of guilt. Grace, on the other hand, allows us to experience something the law never allows, and that's forgiveness. You know how in the Old Testament, the people who were under the law, they had to have a priest offer a sacrifice for their sin continually in order for them to experience forgiveness. Today, however, we have a great high priest, one high priest who has paid the price for our sin, who has offered the perfect permanent sacrifice for our sin so we could experience forgiveness. That is why 
John declares in 1 John 1, 9, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. Grace produces forgiveness. And the last reason I'll share with you why I'm thankful for grace is that the law leads to selfish living. But grace leads us to selfless living. See, salvation, if it's based upon what I do, who am I going to be focused on? Me. If it's based on what I can accomplish, I'm going to focus on me. The person at the center of my life is me. But when I embrace grace, my focus shifts from what I do to what has been done for me. And then the focus becomes what Jesus has done for me and how God can use my life to help others. When life becomes all about me, it takes the attention away from Jesus and it puts the attention on me. But when life is about what Jesus has done for me, when it's about the grace of the Lord, the attention is placed upon him. You see, the good news of the gospel is good news because it's graceful news. The gospel is the message that God wants to know you that he wants to have a relationship with you. So he came to this earth to pay the penalty for your sin. The gospel is that Jesus wants to come into your life, forgive your sin, and make you a new person. The message of the gospel is not change, then come to Jesus, but come to Jesus and he will change you. For you see, every single person here today you were operating either under grace or under the law. You think that God will accept you because of what you do or because of what Jesus has done for you. I know from personal experience, I am a recovering legalist. And I know from experience that when you base your life on legalism, it either makes you miserable or it makes you a spiritual jerk. Because you're either always wondering, have I done enough, have I done enough, have I done enough, have I done enough, and you never can answer that question, and you become a, a sense of hopelessness sits in, or for some reason, you think you get it all figured out, you think you've done it, and then you become obnoxious. And the thing about that obnoxiousness is that it's wasted because you still haven't done enough. We can't do enough because Jesus has done it all. There's nothing left for us to do except to rest in his grace. So if you're here this morning and you've been basing your relationship with Jesus on what you can do and what you can do and what you can do on X, Y, Z, on doing all this stuff, if you're basing that, stop, stop. Because it's never going to get you there. It's never going to bring you peace. Oh, you'll feel good. You'll feel self-righteous for a moment. But then you'll find someone who looks a little bit closer to Jesus than you. 
All of a sudden you realize you got to keep on doing, doing, doing. Stop doing and rest in what Jesus has done. This morning I wonder as we prepare for our time of commitment, what is your life based upon? The grace of God or what you think you can contribute to God? Would you bow with me for just a moment? As we bow our heads, and I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to stand and sing. And maybe you're here today, and you realize that you've been trying to get this relationship based upon what you can do. And you've never rested in the grace of Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about how you can do that. How you receive freely the grace and salvation Jesus offers. Or maybe, Christian, you have accepted Jesus by grace through faith, but that old law sneaks in every now and then. Now you're trying to base your sanctification on the law when it's also based on grace. God saves you by grace. God's going to sustain you by grace. God's going to sanctify you by grace. Maybe you walked into this sanctuary today and you were frustrated because you are trying to do X, Y, and Z, thinking it's going to earn you favor with God, and you realize you can't do it. Leave here today with faith, not frustration, by letting it go and clinging to Jesus and embracing the grace he offers to you. Father, I thank you that Jesus came to this earth and did for me what I could never do for myself. That he lived the life I could never live and he died the death I should have died. And Father, I am thankful that his grace is sufficient. My sin is great, but your grace is greater. Father, I pray for whatever decision we need to make in this room today, each one of us. Whatever you're calling us to do, whatever step we need to take, Father, help us to take that step. In the good name of Jesus, I pray. Hey.